We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Pacer Nation, welcome to another episode of Setting the Pace. On today's episode, I'm joined by Indy Stars beat writer Jay Michael to discuss the entire offseason, the rumors that he heard versus the rumors that were out there, all involving Gordon Hayward, Fred Van Vliet, and of course Bogdan Bogdanovich. We get into a deep dive about Miles Turner, his future with the team, and what this team could look like by the end of the season. We also jump into some Oladipo conversations, what this year could look like for Victor, the pros and the cons, and what we expect from Victor this upcoming season. At the end of it, we really just get into the continuity that Kevin Pritchard preached at the press conference and what that could mean for this Pacers team heading into a really interesting 2020-2021 season with COVID, schedule not even released yet. It's it's a wild time, Pacer fans. So sit back, relax, and I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with the one and only Jay Michael. Alright everybody, joining us right now on Setting the Pace, he covers the Indiana Pacers for the Indy Starts, the one and only Jay Michael. Jay, thanks for coming on. Hey man, appreciate it been a while. Absolutely, it has been, and we talked before the season, and you know, the thought was all along that there was going to be a trade this offseason, it looks like there was a trade that was right there, ready to be made, but unfortunately did not fall through, so kind of just walk us through that whole saga with the Gordon Hayward situation. Um, It was kind of... um. You know, I had conflicting messages. I mean, if you look at the national narrative is that this trade was imminent. And I was kind of conflicted on it because, you know, I, I talked to people who were potentially involved in that trade. And they believed that it wasn't going to go through. So obviously they have more intel and more firsthand knowledge than probably anyone else. Um, and so they're pretty confident. You know, I actually made a tweet during that time that Aaron Holiday, um, not only would he not be part of that trade, he wouldn't be part – generally speaking, that there wasn't any plans for him to be moved at all. And that that was told to Holiday and his camp with extreme confidence. Uh, so it's kind of balancing that this move seems imminent uh, versus 
there were conflicting signals that, you know, a lot of people thought it was going to be hard to make. And as it turns out, you know, that's exactly, you know, it was a deal that was there. There was interest. Um, but signing trades are difficult and um, they're, they're extremely difficult to make. And I'm surprised that Boston didn't pull the trigger on that pretty uh, right away. I think that's probably where some of the anticipation that the trade would happen came from, because I think most people thought it was a, a fair deal. If not, the Pacers giving up a little bit more, especially, you know, I had a report come out a few days later that they were willing to throw in a first round pick. Now, what were the protections on that pick? I'm not sure. I didn't have all the details nailed down on that, but they were uh, offering instead of, you know, uh, Boston wanted another starter uh, instead of a bench player in the deal. And so the Pacers said, look, we'll make a first round pick. We'll put into this deal with Miles Turner and Doug McDermott. And that wasn't good enough for them. And obviously $30 million a year for the next four years from Charlotte is kind of hard to turn down regardless. Uh, <laughs> if yeah. you're Gordon Hayward, I mean, when you get down to it, um, you know, I, uh, that, that, that's hard to say no to not too many 30 year old players get deals like that, unless you're LeBron James or someone of that caliber, when you're kind of a, a really solid player, but you know, not obviously a great player or some all NBA hall of fame player like Hayward. Uh, that's hard to say no to at age 30, especially with his injury history. Right. And I think when it comes down to it, like I look at Gordon Hayward and I thought, this move makes a lot of sense for the Pacers. I think it really helps them. Now, defensively, they might lack a little bit with not having Turner's rim protection, but they could, you know, they could replace McDermott's bench role. They can give up a pick depending on where it's at. I mean, I was okay with the package. I just was shocked that out of all places, Charlotte was a team to offer from thirty million. I under, or thirty million a year for one hundred and twenty million total. I mean, I completely understand why Charlotte overpaid for him because they have they like him, but as far as the fit of their franchise and how things are going, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me with them trying to get a little bit younger, get off some, you know, some expiring contracts on Zeller and Batum. And now they stretch Batum for the next three years. And to me, it just seemed like all along Boston was probably more than likely going to make the deal with Indiana, but they kept trying to call Hayward's bluff because I think in my opinion, the way I viewed it, they would have rather had Hayward than the package of Pacers gave them. Right. or they were trying to make the Pacers worse because they knew that, like, if we did acquire Hayward, that that would make Indiana better. Now, I don't know if that makes them better than Boston, but I do think that it makes the Pacers a lot better. I, I think that's kind of probably a little bit true, at least, because, you know, you know, Ainge is from that old school. You know, when you make trades, you know, you don't want to enrich another team in your division, and I think that comes into play. Um, I think people kind of forget about that factor. Some, some, some front offices don't care about that and others do. Um, and so that's, you're worrying about, um, um, you know, Hey, what if Hayward turns out to be really good and turns out to be the player we hoped he could be in Boston. And, you know, and you have, you, you have seller's remorse when it comes to that. And, and what if the worst case scenario happens with Turner and, you know, the deal doesn't get made. So I understand not wanting to enrich someone in your division. I just not sure I see as good as Hayward can be. And I've been constructively critical of Hayward. He's a good player. And I think there are people who think that I think that he's not good or that I think he stinks and that's not true at all. It's just, he's good, but there's a perception I think of how good he is versus actuality. And I think that perceptions, especially in Indiana 
is a little bit warped, you know, because he's, you know, obviously has ties to Indianapolis. And look, he does a lot of good things well. He's a good pick and roll ball handler, good passer. You can play him at the four uh, in a small, especially in these little small ball lineups. Um, he can stretch with three point range. He can get you close to 40%. He gives you versatility. He can, he can, you know, start the offense for you. You know, the kind of things that a lot of coaches are looking for, especially Indiana's looking for in diversifying their offense. So he brings a skill set that's valuable to them. I just thought, like, based on what Boston has, he's not as valuable to Boston because of you know, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown and the, you know, Kimball Walker. And of course, obviously with Marcus Smart, who's gotten way better than I ever anticipated him being. I think based on what Woody does for Boston, he's not, to me, he's a luxury in Boston. And I thought he was more of a need in Indiana. Um, I, I am shocked that Charlotte gave up, spent that much money on him. But, you know, again, when it comes to trades and free agency, every team isn't created equal. And some teams are under pressure, whether from their fan base or from the ownership group or, or to say that they did something and they know they're going to have to overpay to get a guy like Gordon Hayward, even though he's not, Hayward isn't some, he isn't some first level NBA player, but he's still pretty good that in order to get somebody like that to that market and to stay, you're going to have to pay him more than say if the LA Lakers were in the market and had money and wanted Gordon Hayward, they wouldn't pay 30 million, but look at L it's the LA Lakers. They have players. They don't even have to recruit. They have guys like LeBron James and Anthony Davis who want to come play with them and they don't have to even recruit them. So everybody's not in the same starting point. And I think fans kind of get that part twisted about like, why couldn't this team go after this player? Well, they're not all in the same place. And, and the, 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 you know, you, you, everybody doesn't have the same options. And in order for you to play up on that level to even, it, it says something like to get a guy like Hayward, you got to pay $30 million for Charlotte. Imagine how much money it would cost Charlotte if they could get like LeBron James, like if they had a shot, <laughs> they'd have to pay him like $80 million a year. basically. <laughs> so, it, but it kind of puts into context why some of these smaller markets have such a difficult time competing and that includes Indiana, it is really, really hard. And no matter what they've done with collective bargaining to try to balance the scales and give small markets um, a, a more of a fair shake, it's never going to be a fair shake at this point. Like it's, unless you put in a hard cap, small markets can't compete. And that's exhibit A, or actually it's exhibit number 5,800, because <laughs> there's plenty of examples around the league why despite all the rule changes they've made to try to make it more advantageous for small markets, it's, it's still not a level playing field. Right. And I mean, I think that's why I think a lot of people are so intrigued that Hayward actually wanted to be in Indiana because we're not used to free agents saying, Hey, I want to go there, especially someone. I mean, I think Hayward, like you said, he's not a, a number one on a team that's going to be competitive for a championship, but I think his fit with the Pacers being that, you know, second, third, fourth option, whatever it would have been, I think that would have benefited him more and the Pacers more uh, definitely would have benefited him more compared to how he would have been used in, in Boston. But I think what's interesting here is, you know, the national, you know, report or a lot of podcasts with national guys are saying that the Celtics just didn't want Turner. And then in your report, it says the Celtics actually did want Turner. So I'm, I'm just curious, you know, do you think that what we're hearing nationally is more so Boston trying to get their, you know, their side of the story out so they don't look as bad? I think there's no doubt about that. Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's not that, look, if you told me 
um, that that's the reason Ainge got cold feet and that killed the deal for him. Um, my, my, my counter to that would be why, why didn't he just kill, why didn't he kill talk of it right from jump? Why didn't he say, no, that's not going to do it. Yeah. How do we get to this point to where it drags on back and forth? If there was, if there was really no interest or that they really didn't like Turner, why didn't you just go out and get Tristan Thompson, the second free agency open? Yeah. Um, if, if Tristan Thompson was the guy you really wanted and you thought was the best fit, and you know, I, this free agency was different than previous free agencies because everything happened at once and you couldn't wait. Tristan Thompson isn't really a day one free agency guy in a traditional free agency period, but given how condensed this free agency was, was, was you know, you saw guys who normally don't get signed to the second or third or fourth day of free agency going on the first day because teams, because of the way this whole process kind of shook out, it's different this time. So, okay, so knowing that, why wasn't Tristan Thompson snapped up immediately? And so is Thompson a good player? Probably still a decent, a serviceable player. I would say at, at worst, he's at least serviceable and he can do some of the job for Boston, but he's still, he's still not, he's not really a stretch player. Um, there, there's things about him, uh, you know, what he's going in year and what, nine or 10. So you got an older player, um, you know, Turner with all of his faults, I understand if you told me straight up, hey, we're not sure about Miles Turner. But I think that answer from Boston would have come sooner if they truly weren't interested. And the reason why I kind of pushed back on that was everything that I had gathered on Turner, this was long before the talk of him being swapped for Gordon Hayward. Everything that I've been gaining or gathering on Turner since the last two years I mean, he was in a deal to go to New Orleans, okay? And uh, the Pacers pulled the plug on it. It was a three-team deal with New Orleans and Atlanta. I reported that already. Um, he, so New Orleans and David Griffin, who I don't think is an unintelligent guy, valued Miles Turner. Um, the Washington Wizards uh, uh, valued and courted uh, uh, at least some of their players, Miles Turner. Uh, I reported even before this that, Gordon, uh, that, uh, that Boston – had some strong interest in Turner. So all of a sudden we go from that over the last couple of years that he's one of the most talked about guys. You know, if somebody was going to be traded from the Pacers, it's Miles Turner. Nobody all of a sudden, nobody said back then that he, that they, that they didn't want Miles Turner. All of these teams were in the sweepstakes making phone calls, trying to see about Turner's availability. Now all of a sudden this deal falls through. Oh, we didn't like him. He's not that good. That does not add up logically for me. Yeah. So aside from, you know, so that doesn't add up. I think they tried to get too much in the deal. They thought the Pacers would be desperate the way Charlotte was desperate for Gordon Hayward, that they gave up $30 million a year. So if, if Charlotte's willing to give up $30 million a year for the next four years for a player who's already 30, man, what can we get from the Pacers, a team that's, that thinks it's right on the cusp of maybe getting to the conference finals, if that small market in Charlotte is willing to pay this much for Gordon, we can get more out of Indiana. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where it comes from. The deal falls apart. Um, and now it's a matter of, uh, well, you know, we had questions about it. I mean, there's always been questions. There's no new, there's nothing new about Miles Turner. Sometimes he's hot and we say, man, he's, man, Miles Turner's turning the corner. And then, you know, we'll, a month later, we'll be like, man, what happened to Miles Turner? That's nothing new. That's always been, that's kind of been the question about Turner. 
exactly where is his ceiling? Is there room for him to, 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 to get even better? And that, that, that's nothing new. And so that somehow Boston just had this epiphany when it came time to say yay and nay on this deal, that those questions didn't exist before, that, that just does not mesh with everything I know prior to that. And that doesn't make common sense to me. And I was told that Bartlestein was like, okay, we're done. And he's going, you know, and they settled on going to Charlotte. I was not told, now, you know, from my sources, that Ainge pulled the plug and walked away. I was told it was Mark Bartlestein, his agent, that did that. Yeah, I mean, I, I've heard that dealing with Danny Ainge is like dealing with the devil. Um, he's, he's very hard to negotiate with, always ask for a ton more. And his name is always out there. And I think he's got to be the lead candidate for trades that didn't get done and what he was offering. It's always interesting to hear those. After every every player that's on the trade market get traded, the Celtics were offering this player and that player. I think that is interesting. But I found it also interesting that Kevin Pritchard came out and said that they actually called Charlotte and congratulated them mm-hmm. on uh, on getting Hayward. And I believe it was your article, might have been someone else, but I thought it was yours that said that the Hornets had actually had talked about you know going after Miles Turner at some point. Right. Do you think, which is just me putting my little tinfoil hat on here. Do you think there's any chance the Pacers try to negotiate with Charlotte for Gordon Hayward now that he's on their team? Because I still don't think the Hornets are going to be anywhere close to playoff contention. I have no idea. I have no idea. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you still, if you negotiate it, you're still negotiating with a $30 million a year contract. Right. Guaranteed for four years. So I, I would rather deal with Turner and his $18 million for the next couple of years rather than Hayward and his, his – uh, 30 million. Um, and you know what? I thought Turner made a really good account of himself, you know, when I was wondering about his trade value going into this offseason. Um, you know, in that game one against Miami, he stunk it up to high heaven. And then those last three games of that series, he really balled out against Bam Adebayo. Yeah. And I thought, you know, that's a pretty good impression that you're leaving going into the offseason where you could get moved. Um, I thought based off the way Turner played in the playoffs, um, you know, if the last impression is the most lasting impression that people have that it would be good. Um, And, you know, that it would be good for him. It would be good for the Pacers and his value. I would not think that would hurt his value. Um, And, you know, they got an idea. I think intelligent basketball people um, around the league could see whether it's Sabonis or Miles Turner, that when they play with one big, that one big played much better without the other on the floor. I think that's the whole moral to this entire story. It's not necessarily that, Turner wasn't any good because even though he had some really bad games this season, I think not knowing his place and being assertive enough was part of his problem. Plus the way he was used wasn't the best for him. He had to take a back seat. And I think smart people who watch the game, who evaluate these players know that about Turner. Uh, Mm -hmm. So if I got to keep miles at 18 million, I'd keep that and I'd be okay with that if I'm the Pacers. And, and, you know, it's not like because you weren't able to move him for some assets now that you can't move him over the next few months. I mean, you can make a trade now anytime. So I just don't feel like they felt like they were under the gun uh, to do something. And I don't think they want to, as much as they like Gordon Hayward, I don't think you want to tie up $30 million a year for the next four years. Because, you know, as, as, as Philadelphia learned by getting Al Horford to that, that, that what hundred and something million dollar contract fully guaranteed for four years, when you get a guy who's over 30, probably past his physical best and you give him a deal like that, that becomes an albatross contract. No matter how much you love him in year one or year two, year three, year four, 
are going to be, they're going to kill you cap wise, especially for a small market team. I just, I have difficulty seeing how the Pacers would, would, would take on a contract that big, though obviously they were willing to pay Gordon Hayward in the neighborhood of $25, 27000000 million, which is, you know, nothing to sneeze at. Right. And I mean, it's, it's still semi close to that, I guess you could say, especially since they uh, said they would go into the luxury tax to go get him. That's, that's an interesting point of view as well. But all right, I, I got to ask you this real quick because there were reports. I think Michael Scotto from Hoops Hype had said that the Pacers inquired about Fred Van Vliet, a sign and trade. And it was a reporter from Sacramento that said the Pacers had interest in Bogdan Bogdanovich. Did you hear anything on those two players? No, I didn't hear anything on those two players. And I, again, I need to know what interest means. Yeah. Um, <laughs> interest is a very broad topic. And I can guarantee you, if I could throw a dartboard and put some names up there and I could hit about 20 names, they ask about. They're, you know, every team's going to ask about top, top free agents. Um, did it actually get anywhere to where they were going to make some sort of deal where something was talked about? That's a com- completely different matter. But I, I don't have any firsthand uh, knowledge that anything along those lines got anywhere. They, they may very well may have, so I'm not, I'm not disputing uh, their reports at all. I just I can't tell you with confidence uh yes or no gotcha gotcha okay so did you hear anything else besides the hayward stuff or is that pretty much all that you heard this offseason i mean that's pretty much the 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 strongest stuff i've heard i mean i've been reporting all along that they were going to be more than content to stand pat and figure out what they got because they want to give nate borkren a chance to um uh the new coach uh york and uh how do you say Yorkin. Well, Yorkin, yeah. <laughs> Yorkin. I have trouble making that pronunciation. Uh, a chance to see what he can do with what they've got and assess what they have going forward and, and figure out where the pieces fit and what to do um, at that, you know. So, I, so that means come trade deadline or before the trade deadline, I expect them to do some things then. Um, but, I mean, there, there's – there's so much stuff. I honestly, if you look, I don't do speculations with stuff at all. That's not what I do. I'm in a little bit different of a position because I can't just throw stuff against the wall and hope it sticks. When I say something, it's because it's pretty, I have it pretty firm uh, from some people who would know. Um, Perfect example during the coaching search, um, you know, the, the narrative being that was out there was Chris Finch was about to be the next coach. I never said anything about Chris Finch being the leading contender or but he was hands down or the leading guy to be the Pacers next coach. I didn't know that to be true. Uh, doesn't mean that it wasn't true. Uh, I didn't know that to be true. I could only go with what I knew. And I also knew during coaching searches in particular, more so than free agent searches, there's a lot of misdirection put out by agents. Uh, and some of these agents have, uh, multiple clients who are going after that one job. And so you have to really sift through um, some of that. And so I, I think I always found it impossible to determine who was the leading candidate. You know, like when, when, when Mike D'Antoni was floated, I was told by someone back in maybe December last year that Mike D'Antoni uh, was angling to be, he was going to be the next coach of the Pacers. But I kind of balanced that information based on some other things I knew. It's like, you know, he could be. Um, D'Antoni, I was told, thought he had a good shot at the job, and I reported that. I was, that didn't mean that I believed he had a good shot at the job, but that he believed that he had a good shot at the job. Right. Um, and 
And I, you know, and, and quite honestly, that's the one thing that teams, generally speaking, will keep so close to the best when it comes to coaching searches. You can best believe, especially when it comes to some of the early names that are put out, the, those aren't really the names. I mean, they're names they may talk to, but they play that so close to the vest and put out so mis, so much misdirection. Going overboard about any of it, hey, so-and-so had a second interview or this person uh, interviewed well. I don't know what the hell that means, that someone interviewed well. Um, <laughs> Got to defend with, I mean, seriously, have you ever seen a report that said somebody didn't interview well? Right. Uh, <laughs> I mean, you know, so what does that mean, interview? I saw a report that said the, uh, the, the day that uh, Yorkin was hired that some coaches from some other place interviewed well and Yorkin got hired. It's like, well, apparently <laughs> maybe that doesn't, maybe they did interview well, but that really doesn't mean anything because they didn't, you know, they didn't get the job. There's a lot of misdirection, conflicting signals. All I can tell you, generally speaking, is if I have it concrete, uh, from from some of these people, some of these guys, I, you know, I'll say it definitively. But if I don't have it definitively, there's a there's a lot of stuff being put out there. There's so much stuff. Um, some of it's true, some of it's right by accident. Um, uh, you know, uh, I think the assumption was made that Tony was going to be the next head coach because he had the same agent as Kevin Pritchard and all of that stuff. Um, I could not say that with any confidence whatsoever. Uh, and so as a result, I generally just stay away from it unless I get that person or the person doing the hiring saying, yeah, he's our guy. We're about to hire him. Short of that, um, it's, 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 a, it's, it's, a, it's a lot of people getting their clients' names out there. So even though they don't get this job, they'll be fresh on everybody's mind for the next opening and then the next opening. And so when people are coming up with lists, who could this next team hire? oh man, I remember this name and you put the name on the list. That's the whole purpose of any of this most of the time. So it's, it's a lot of misdirection, misleading stuff. It's more so with coaching searches than it is with free agents. Free agents when it comes to players is a little bit different, but uh, it, there's all sorts of 99.9% .9 of the stuff that are talk, that's talked about, you, you, you'll never hear reported uh, or you'll never see out there. That's just how it is. Yeah, so I want to go back a little bit to earlier this offseason. You, you let an article out talking about Oladipo, you know, telling other teammates or other teams that he wanted to play with them and that his teammates heard it. And it blew up all over social media that day. Tom Crean had to come on the Dan Dockett show to defend Victor Oladipo, his sisters on there. Uh, Turner kind of got into it a little bit with her on Twitter, not too much, but just kind of like said something back and forth, and she responded. So I'm just curious, you know, as the Pacers do head into the season with Oladipo and Turner on the roster, um, you, you had reported that there was a likelihood that they both could be traded before the season, but, you know, not, not concrete, like you said, but it was just something that was out there. Like these two guys could be dealt and Victor is a free agent, obviously. So with all this stuff swirling around Oladipo right now, what are your thoughts on where he is at right now and what this season could be like for Oladipo? I have no idea what the season's going to be like for Victor. Uh, I think part of it depends, obviously, on his health. Mm -hmm. um, I think he's in a real stressful situation. Um, uh, it's, it's, you know, the report about him saying that in front of teammates. Um, I found it funny that Tom Crean was defending having an opinion. Tom Crean wasn't there. I mean, unless Tom Crean was at those games, I, I know he's saying that Victor told him he didn't do it. Um, and that's fine, but all 
all I know is I, I, I yet to find anybody supply me with any evidence to tell me that what I had was wrong. Um, at this point, I, I gave Victor's team multiple chances over the course of a month to respond to me. To, uh, I wanted to run by every line that I had saying, you know, out of fairness, I need to give you a chance. Either if you want to put Victor on the phone to talk to me, if you want his rep wants to say, look, this is where we stand. This is what happened. If you want to just tell me off the record or in background, explain something and give me some context. I'm looking for something to not, not only give you a fair shot to explain this yourself, but give you a chance to refute it. Give me something convincing, point me in another direction, and I will go digging to see if I can find if what you say is true. I'm not going to take your word on it. I'm going to look. I, I, have enough, I have enough sources to find out if what you're telling me is true or not. Mm-hmm. But what you got to understand is a lot of people look towards the Pacers. You know, the whole thing with Miles Turner was kind of funny because this idea that um, somebody on the team said something, which could be true. It may not be true. But if you said that on a court, do you think the only people who may have heard that are players on the Pacers? Do you think the only people I know in the NBA play for the Indiana Pacers? Do you guys think I only know coaches on the Indiana Pacers? Front office people for the Indiana Pacers? Absolutely not. I know people around the league. I've been doing this for more than a decade. So there are more people than other, than, you know, I think it's natural to look inwardly and say it has to be somebody on the team who's the culprit. And that's not always necessarily the case, but understand that it was multiple people I had multiple people and I never went looking for it it fell in my lap I didn't believe it at first oh, that was probably a joke and as stuff kept coming in there's other stuff in that article too um, that everybody has kind of overlooked what happened on a zoom call when they discussed social justice what did Victor say it's not going to matter it's not going to help it's part it was all that was the most salacious part but it was all part of a profile on him um as leader of the organization, can you build around him as the face of the team? And does he have the backing of those guys in the locker room to be that guy? And, and, and my answer to you is no. And yeah. if that's the case, is he willing to take that fall back and be the number two and number three guy in the locker room? I don't think so. So now you all of a sudden, and, and he wants a max contract. So there's all of these conflicting and competing things going at each other. And, it's really more about that. Victor's a moody guy. And, you know, I, I, people who've covered him, who cover him will tell you that uh, um, just from their experiences. That doesn't mean he's a bad guy, but you got to understand teams do intel on players around this league. Before you make a trade, before you draft someone, before you hire a coach, the, the intel that they do on players is, is like FBI level. They go, to, they go to your friends, your family, guys you hung out with. It's not like, hey, I have never done anything criminal in my life. Look, I don't have a record. They go and find out about the stuff that you may have done that you got covered up. They know everything about everybody. They know your medical history. So I guess what I'm saying all that is to say that when I said that he had a reputation for being moody even before he came to Indiana, teams who scouted or thought about acquiring Oladipo did their homework on him too. So again, when I say what I say in in that authoritative sort of way, you can push back and say he didn't do it. You know, he can push back or some Tom Crean can push back and say he didn't do it. But the intel on him around the league is what it is. And that doesn't change. And I don't believe Victor Oladipo is a bad guy. 
I don't believe he's a mean person. I don't believe he's a, uh, you know, any of those things. But I, I think, uh, you know, him as the leader of your team, as your, as your guy, as your face, as your voice, you know, look, you know, nobody may want to say it, but when you do things like that, even if you want to try to say, hey, I was just joking, you know, those things aren't, you know, a lot, a lot of, that's going to catch a lot of people sideways. And when you look at, when I talked a lot about when the season ended, there's a lot of things in a locker room that I think I reported or said on Twitter or something to the effect that there was just a lot of um, turmoil and um, uh, just bad feelings uh, in that locker room. It just wasn't good at all. Um, it wasn't all about Nate McMillan and his coaching stuff. And I was referring to some things like that. But at that point, I hadn't really solidified all the details. And, uh, you know, every time I talked to a different person or I got a phone call from someone or a call back and I, I went straight out and asked them, I was shocked at some of the things. And I didn't put everything in the piece that I knew to be true. I only was able to confirm three teams. I was, from what I was, I was told about two or three other teams that he said it around but I didn't, I couldn't confirm that that happened with those teams. So uh, I didn't want to be wrong. So I erred on the side of caution. I only put the three teams in that I, 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 I my reporting told me to be true. And if I'm not mistaken, cause I don't have my story in front of me, I actually mentioned the name of a person he went up to at the foul line. Do you remember that? Who he went up to? I can't recall. I forget. Lowry. Oh yeah, that's right. Lowry. Lowry. So, you know, it's I named the name. That doesn't mean Kyle Lowry is the person that told me that, but I named the name one of the guys he went up to and said it around. Now, do, do will, will those people come out and say, yeah, he said, look, if I'm Kyle Lowry, I'm not touching it. <laughs> I'm pleading ignorance and I don't know anything about it because I don't want to get involved in anybody else's drama. Right, uh, right. But what, what I found telling is, at least not to my knowledge, I haven't seen anyone come up and say, Victor didn't say that, who was on the floor in any of those games that I mentioned. Yeah, well, that's that's the thing. There's no nobody from the Pacers standing up for Vic. Vic can't even come out and say anything through the team. He's been using Shams this entire year, basically, to be his mouthpiece, which I found hysterical. Um, I don't really understand why he can't speak for himself. He's only done, like, one interview with Fat Joe, I believe, on Instagram. So it's not like he's been out there doing stuff. Now, he is going to talk with the media tomorrow – I will say this, Jay, because my biggest concern about Vic heading into this season, he's playing for a contract. He's already got a little bit of, you know, the Pacers might want to move on from him. They're not sure. It seems like he's committed. They're committed, whatever. That's what they're telling us. But with your report about the whole social justice thing, you know, Brogdon kind of be the team leader now, uh, Sabonis being the all-star, probably the better player right now because we still don't know how healthy Vic is, and Vic trying to play for that next big contract – I just feel like there's a lot of things to really keep an eye on here with Vic heading into this season. Yeah, there are. There are. There's a, and, you know, you're in a new coach. You don't know how the guys are going to be used. Um, you got all the other – yeah, you got the storylines about, you know, trying to play for a contract. I mean, look, let's, let's stick to basketball when it comes to this. Forget all the other stuff. Victor's efficiency, I, I, you know, in that same story, I, I kind of charted where he was in 2017-18 when it came to being a pick-and-roll ball handler in isolation, all of that stuff. If you look at his points per possession, like his efficiency is going to like cut in half in all of those situations. So just from a basketball perspective, he's got to, you know, that that's one, the, the whole leadership, 
locker room, that's one thing to one on one side. But the other thing is just being able to play basketball at that level that makes him worthy of that 24, 25, $30 million a year contract. Um, and so he's got to prove he can do that. And um, who knows? And so yeah, there's a lot to figure out, you know, how, how, how your queen's going to use him. Um, Vic, you know, initially going into this, this season, I think at one point, you're right. I said that Oladipo, and Turner were the most likely to be moved when their season ended. As we got closer to free agency, um, I my reported that it seemed less likely that either would be moved. Mm. And I thought other than, you know, other than him, other than Turner getting moved in that Boston deal, um, there wasn't really a whole lot from what I gathered of a market for moving Old Depot. So it's, it's part of the reason why, you know, you're committed to each other. Is it out of just because you don't have a whole lot of options? And, um, you know, one team that, you know, that was obviously mentioned the most about with Oladipo was the New York Knicks. And I was told the Knicks had cooled on him a while ago. Um, and, you know, and I think teams are waiting to see, uh, you know, it's not only the Pacers are waiting to see what they have under this new coach. I think some of these other teams are waiting to see what they have, um, in terms of what, what Oladipo is going to be. Is, is he going to show that he's progressing and getting better from that knee injury? If he doesn't, I think they're in a tough spot um, because they can move him, but they're not going to get nearly the value that they, they, they would expect. And does it, does it become that you want to get rid of him so bad that you're willing to get rid of him just for about anything, just to unload him, just to unload him and get you off your team, get him off your team? Or uh, do you think that he's still a good player, even if he's not that player that he was a couple of years ago? And as a result, you're willing to keep him if he's willing, you know, if, if the chemistry is right and you're able to get him at a good number. Like, you know, instead of, hey, we're not going to be, we're not giving him a max deal. Uh, but I'm telling you right now, you know, a year and a half, two years ago, if Oladipo would have signed that extension, this all would be, be we wouldn't even have to discuss this but he passed on that extension and I, you know i was you know i was told that you know it's that that's that's put a lot of un, a lot of stress on him you know he that extension was on the table you know based on what's happened since then maybe he should have taken that bird in hand but i know he's talking about he believes in himself he thinks he's going to turn it around he's going to be himself he's going to bet on himself for his sake I, I hope he does kill it and that he's he's able to be the player that he was a couple of years ago. But if he doesn't, that's not only going to put him in a, a difficult spot, but it's also going to put the Pacers, I think, in a difficult spot on exactly uh, on exactly what to do with him because it's it's a it's a I, I, you can look at it glasses half full. Like I said, you can keep a he could still be a decent player, and the Pacers could keep him at a good number, or mm -hmm. you can look at it as you know. I think he's going to, I think he's going to leave or want to leave regardless once the season is over, whether the Pacers or the only, you know, whether, whether he can get the kind of money he want from, wants from another team or not. I think he's looking at his career beyond basketball. And I think that's what's governed a lot of his behaviors um, uh, more recently. And, and, and that knee injury may have made him focus on, life after basketball and trying to set himself up properly more so than anything else. And I, and so you have competing agendas, you got your personal stuff and the team stuff. 
And, you know, sometimes it's, it's hard to make those things mesh. And I, I, I just think that's the kind of stuff he's trying to figure out. And it's not really come across the right way. I will tell you, and one last point about this, I, if, 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 if a reporter, if I'm calling you as you're an agent, I talked to a couple of agents about this since my report about Victor came out. And I says, if I called and left you a message about your client that I have something and you know, you're probably gonna want to respond to me. I want to run it by you because it's not gonna portray him necessarily in the best light. I said, would you call me back? He's like, absolutely. Uh, I called over the course of more. I said a month. It may even be a little bit more than a month. Uh, phone calls, multiple text messages, and I have all the receipts. So if anybody says he never tried to call, I have the text messages from his agent saying he's gonna call me back. He's gonna call me back, and he never calls me back. Um, and so. I, I just don't think they did him, they did, I think they did him a little bit of a disservice by hoping it would go away. Uh, yeah. And if you don't call, it will go away. And I really would have felt better if I would have talked to someone, even if they would have just cussed me out and said no comment, I could at least say, I talked to you and gave you a shot. But they chose not to answer, respond, and you know, kind of this is where we are. Uh, I'm sure Victor's mad at me for it, uh, but I tried, I was fair. I'm, I'm not a fanboy and I'm not a hater. I'm, I try to be as fair as I possibly can to everybody. And the best thing I can do is tell you, this is what I have. Tell me that it's wrong. Convince me that what I have isn't right. Give, or give me your perspective to explain why this isn't what it appears to be. That's the best thing I can do for you. And I will put it in your words and give you your say as long as you want. And you can tell me exactly what you want to say about this and you have the floor. If you choose to bypass on that chance to do so, then, you know, I, I've done my part to, 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 to be fair. And that, 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 that's, that's all I can say about that. They are, you know, Victor's, you know, it, like I said, everything in that story is about whether or not he said this on the floor in front of teammates. Uh, and he did do that. But there's, there's just plenty of other stuff in there that he didn't, that no one has addressed either. Like I said, the Zoom call, um, and, and, you know, there's a feeling that when, when things go well, he's great. When things don't go well with the team, he's not necessarily the best teammate to be around. And uh, I know more than a couple people who feel that way about him. So, um, hmm. you know, it, it, you know it, it, is, it is what it is, but... Um, you know that that that's all I can say about that. It's uh, I think it's going to be a challenge for them to to figure things out. And I think Kevin Pritchard is really relying on the new coach that he believes. Like if they still had McMillan, this would be a complete complete disaster. <laughs> like these kind of <laughs> Nate, Nate McMillan is is as great as he is at a lot of stuff. He doesn't handle or manage or want to deal with stuff like this at all. Right. So I think Pritchard had also and the Pacers have a belief that with this new coach, they can figure some of these things out and he can help mend some of those fences in that he will, he will get involved and he will check guys when it comes to certain things they may do, their body language, things they say in ways that maybe Millen didn't and that that can help smooth some of these things over. And if you start winning, you know, a couple of weeks into the season, everybody's going to forget about it. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah, I know. And I agree with that. And I think that you made a great point. You know, it's, going to be hard to envision Oladipo being here after this season. I just, you know, I'm not going to say there's no chance, but I would say it's more 
likely that he's not here just with everything that's going on and how I predict this season ending up for the Pacers is probably going to be very similar to the last couple of years, unless they have some drastic change with how they're, I mean, coaching is obviously going to be huge, but you know, still talent is talent. And I think that's what wins in the NBA. How talented can this team be? How many more steps can they take forward? That's, that's a big thing to watch for. So I know you got to get out of here, Jason. My last question for you before you get out of here continuity is the thing they're preaching right now after the Hayward deal fell through. So when it comes to continuity, I understand the importance of it, but do you really buy that the Pacers with continuity can really, you know, make a, make a difference this year in the playoffs? Oh boy, that's a big one. Um, I, I think look, it, it can help, but I, I think is, isn't part of what they haven't had in the last few years other than Brogdon signing. Um, and Brockton isn't really, as good as a player he is. He's not really a guy who's going to – he's a good addition. He does some good things, but he's not really a guy who's going to shake things up in terms of make your trajectory go from, you know, number seven or eight in the East to number one, right? He's a good player. He's a good piece. Yeah. That There's something to be said for taking a risk. And re- to me, if you really wanted to shake it up, you know, um, it, maybe the options just weren't out there um, in this, this offseason – to get anything done. I think continuity start the season. Okay, great. I still think to get to that next level, by the time the season's over, the roster can't look the same, regardless of what they do with it. I think you need to take a swing um, if you can. Um, it, 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 teams are always handicapped by, you know, what will ownership let you do? Can you go into the luxury tax? Um, you know, what the, I, I, I don't know where some of these teams are financially uh, after all the COVID lockdowns. What, what some owners are going to sustain and be fine. Some ownership groups are not. And that's going to probably govern some of the actions and conclusions when it comes to paying for players. But I think with the Pacers, um, look, continuity means they'll make the playoffs. They'll probably be, what, I'm, I'm taking a shot in the dark. Six seed, if I'm guessing. Yeah, we're, I had them at seventh. <laughs> yeah. So let's say they'll six or seven seed. Let's say we're going to have modest expectations. Maybe they can get up to five if things break their way, depending on how things go, right? Mm-hmm. But are they a shoe-in to get out of the first round now? No. Um, I, look, I think the new coach can help them uh, maybe get a few more wins. Um, I think where Yorkman's going to help, probably where we're going to see his biggest impact if he's successful – I don't think we're going to necessarily see it this year, even though I know they're hopeful that we will. I think it's going to be in the development of guys like Aaron Holiday and Edmund Sumner, uh, maybe Goga, and that maybe in that this two- to three-year stretch, that that's where you'll see the team maybe take off. I don't know right now you're going to see them explode onto the scene with the whole continuity narrative. I think, I think continuity is better than just blowing up the team and playing for the lottery. Um, uh, for them at this point, because you know the Pacers aren't a team or a franchise that that believes it can pro- it can keep its fan base by you know being a twenty win team, you know being the Atlanta Hawks, being the Philadelphia seventy sixers for a stretch of years when they're just really bad. They 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 don't believe they can be that kind of team and keep their fan base engaged. And I think that governs a lot of their conclusions as well. So um, so right now. I say six or seven seed, first round exit, but maybe a better show-in in the first round. And we'll have to wait and see. Um, I, I still think the team isn't going to look the same 
at the end of the season as it does at the beginning of the season. And maybe we can, maybe we'll have to reassess exactly who they are at that point. But I, I think you, I, if they want to play faster and get up more threes, I'm still trying to figure out how you can do that starting two bigs. And that, for me, that's the big roadblock I keep running into. Yeah, I would not be surprised if Bjorkren, um does, you know, does start Turner and Sabonis at times, but I could also see him maybe putting Turner on the bench at some points when they're playing different matchups. If there's a team that's got a smaller ball lineup at the yeah. at the four, you know, just be innovative. Just kind of tell people, hey, this is how it's going to be. You know, you're going to be a starter most nights, but there's going to be occasions where you don't because that was so interesting. Kevin Pritchard came out on his press conference and said, TJ's got to play the four more. Uh, then he talks about Goga's got to get more minutes, and then Turner's got to get five threes off a game. It's like there's only so much playing time for those three players, especially right. at that position. Yeah, and it's and that's the thing. Like I've had conversations with people about that. It's like you know, there's sometimes where you got to just mix up the lineup, and based on who you're playing that night, maybe based on um, you know how many um, you know, like Jakar Sampson went through so many stretches as good as he was for them in spots last year. He went through so many stretches where he just didn't play at all. And he was – and you see the team, they played, you know, three games in five days. They're on the road. They're flat. And Jakar Sampson hasn't gotten in the game yet, and he's fully healthy. And it's like, yeah, that's a time where you probably need to get a guy like Jakar in just to get everybody's energy up and get the pace of the game up because he plays well with certain people. And maybe you got to pull Miles Turner out the game and cut his minutes that game, Right. Maybe you put Jakar at the five, you pull Miles and Sabonis, you put Jakar at the five, TJ Warren at the four, uh, and go with a small backcourt with McConnell and Aaron Holiday and, and throw Doug McDermott or, or, or Oladipo or whoever on, on the other spot, on the other guard spot, and you try to play fast and do some pace and space sort of stuff. Um, there are times where, where Bork, Bjorkman's going to do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's where you can steal um, some minutes uh, for some of these guys and mix it up. I think, I, I think obviously that's a really good, that I, I think he's going to do that. And guys, I think guys is egos. And I think that's probably where you know, Nate's um, personality comes into play. He's going to have to tell guys like, Hey, just because, you know, you might not start tonight or you may not play that many minutes, I, you know, and he's got to smooth it over with them that that doesn't mean you're not an important part of this team. And um, and he's got to kind of keep their confidence up, you know, just because, you know, maybe, you know, a certain player or maybe even Victor, maybe Victor doesn't have it a certain If a guy doesn't have it, I have no problem. I don't care even if he's a star, take him and put him on, putting him on the bench. And if you get somebody else who's a backup, who's in, who gets it going, you go with the hot hand. And I, yeah. I think that's the kind of thing that we're going to see a little bit more of that. And it's going to give guys more opportunity. And I was, I was surprised to hear Kevin say that publicly, but, He's right. He's right. You have to, uh, you got, you got to mix it up a little bit and take some chances. And in the process, you might piss some of your veterans off, but you know, you gotta, they think he has the people skills to kind of keep everybody, um, to keep everybody engaged and feeling like they're all, you know, equally pulling their, you know, have a say in the direction that the team is going. And I think that's what they, what they want for him, want from them. And yeah, that's, yeah, I, I think, yeah. I think no doubt about it. There's some games where, um, you know, I want, I was surprised we didn't see Warren at the four more often last yeah. year. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff that I was surprised at, but you know, the other thing that was surprising that Kevin said when he said that, um, but, and I've, and I felt this way and I've kind of said this in different ways to people. 
when he says, yeah, I think I gave, he, he tried to take responsibility for McMillan playing for the short term rather than the long term. And that's something that I've always told people in podcasts and tweets and talking to fans. You don't, you never know necessarily what the directive is from up, up above to coach. If the coach has to win, feels like he has to be a top four, top five seed, or he's got to win X number of games to keep his job safe or whatever. That's what they're going to do. That's what anybody will do to keep their job. And you need to have a little bit more leeway. You need to give him some, some rope. Hey, maybe you play some young guys and you lose a few games here or there. And maybe instead of a four or five seed, you're six seed, right? But you're a better team when the playoffs come and you're in better position to compete uh, than what you would be if you play for that short-term goal. And, you know, Pritchard spoke to that as well about not being so obsessed with, you know, the, that those regular season wins. I've seen that around the league. It's not just – that's not only happened with Indiana. I've seen that happen with a lot of teams, and coaches get blamed for it, but they, they feel pressure, whether it's said to them directly or it's implied that they feel like they have to win at that moment in the regular season and mm. not really thinking about the postseason or the long game because they're playing – the short game. And so those are competing. Those are conflicting interests. Sometimes, sometimes you're better off being a, a six seed who's won 45 games than being a, a, a four, a five seed or even a four seed that's won 50 games. Maybe, yeah. maybe you're better suited to compete going forward. Cause let's face it. They haven't gotten out of the first round since 2014 and their success is going to be gauged not by regular season wins, but getting to the playoffs and getting out of the first round. So I, I think there may be one move away in terms of making a deal before the deadline to being able to be sure that they get to that point. I still think they need to do make another tweak or two, um, even though they they're pushing the narrative that continuity is going to matter. I still think they got to shake it up just a little bit to get to that next level. Yeah. Cause I think if anything's true, I mean, the fact that there's different reports in that they had interest or had gone after and discussed with teams, not just about Hayward, but Van Vliet and, and Bogdanovich, Bogdan Bogdanovich, I think, that is telling the Pacers know this roster needs improvement and, and they know that they've got to be a little bit better to really compete in the Eastern Conference because, unfortunately, for the Pacers, the Eastern Conference is not getting any worse. It's actually getting better. And um, especially with these new play-in things, the Pacers want to probably avoid the seventh seed at all cost. So, uh, <laughs> you know, having a playoff game against a 10th seed, whether that's Washington, Orlando, Atlanta, Charlotte, I mean, one of these teams, they, they've struggled with those teams in the regular season, so I highly doubt they want to get themselves in that, that position. But it's a, it's an interesting time for Pacer fans, and I know we're all excited. So, Jay, thank you so much for coming on. I know you got to get out of here. And uh, thanks for giving me a few extra minutes than you had originally promised. All right, no problem, man. It's anytime. All right, see you, man. Bye, man.